This is the Future of Law podcast, where we explore what it means to be a lawyer and law firm of the future. I'm Cutis from Australia. And I'm Tessa from Canada. We are two entrepreneurs working on each edge of the planet, bringing you a platform to explore what the future holds for the legal industry. Hi, Ed. How are you going, mate? Very good, Curtis. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. Um, thank you for coming on to the podcast and uh, my... being willing to speak with us. And I'm really looking forward to what we're going to talk about today, actually. Yeah, well, my pleasure. Uh, and thank you very much for, for inviting me. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we've had a brief conversation prior, but today, I guess, a um, good place to start would be to understand um, more, if you can give us a brief rundown of what the human consultancy is and your brief, I guess, your um, brief run-in with the law in a direct manner and then perhaps <laughs> how you've been. <laughs> but you've been, in, you've been involved for a long time, so you know, it's a very interesting yeah, when, when you say I've had a run-in with the law, I have been to uh, maximum <laughs> security prisons and police stations, but as a lawyer, not as, a, yeah, yeah, exactly. as an offender. So we'll just, we'll just make sure we get the language Yeah, let's get that, that straight. straight yeah. up. Let's get that straight. A good point. So, I didn't realize it could have come across that way. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, there's no judgment for those who have been uh, inside, but, but I haven't for that reason yeah. anyway. Let's be clear, everyone. Uh, let's All be right. clear he has not that. been on the inside. I haven't been on the inside, no. So, um, so I started my career off as a barrister in England. Um, many, many moons ago. And for those who are lawyers who are interested in that part of the world in England, we have a split system, unlike in Australia. So when you leave uni, you qualify either as a solicitor or a barrister. Um, mm. It's sort of blended a little bit since then. So I did that uh, over 25 years ago. Practice for a couple of years. Um, really wanted to do alternative dispute resolution or public international law. In those days, mediation was in its absolute infancy. Mm. And I took the view that I only wanted to be the best at what I could do. And so the bar wasn't opening those doors for me. And so uh, I left and went into the world of headhunting, um, specializing in, in investment bankers. So forgive me for that one mm. uh, as well. I probably should. Uh, anyway, right. Um, yeah. Do we need to clarify uh, what type of headhunting? <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was, no. Uh, and one of my big clients in those days was Lehman Brothers. So anyway, yeah. that's, a, that's a different one. No, I meant it from um, the perspective of run-ins with the law and headhunting no, no, don't no, exactly no, run well together, do they? No, that's all right. <laughs> um, from, from the old school traditional uh, anyway, yes. <laughs> so I was a headhunter in, uh, don't worry, headhunter in London. Um, yeah. Started working with law firms in around uh, 96. Um, in between the time I left the bar and went off to become a headhunter, I also uh, had a role actually just before that as a judicial assistant, which was one of the, I think I was the second person in England mm. who was a lay well, basically, I assisted a high court judge who became a court of appeal judge on a high-profile serious fraud office prosecution at the Old Bailey, which was then moved to the Royal Courts of Justice because of security and everything else. But in the days when um, it's not really marshalling, so a I was a I was a barrister already, um, right. but I was sitting with the judge on the bench oh. for three and a half months, basically taking notes. I wasn't asking questions, but correcting. Oh, I wow. was able to, on points of law or fact, where he hadn't heard correctly or there was a dispute as to what had been said and it was read back, I had my notes, or 
even in the summing up, there was a, a point of law which wasn't clearly um, interpreted correctly. So I was able to uh, point it out because actually it was on the definition of theft and that would have derailed the entire <laughs> procedure. Wow. <laughs> summing okay. up. Yes, it would have done. Anyway, very interesting. Wow. So that really was the end of my practicing days as a lawyer or my involvement as a, a lawyer with the court system and the judicial system, but fascinating. Yeah. Um, and went off to be a headhunter, started working with law firms, uh, people like um, Alan and Overy, who were a client from 96 all the way through to um, 2012. And I went back consulting to them, um, you know, 18, uh, what, actually two years ago now. Mm. So over 20 years plus, I've had a very strong, deep affiliation. And I suppose, dare I say, love for the legal profession and a very strong sense of social justice. And even mm. when I haven't been involved with the law, I still use my practice and discipline in my businesses. Last year, I was on the uh, Sydney panel of the Global Legal Hackathon, which was 5,000 mm. people and um, 45 cities arranged by Aileen Schultz um, yes. uh, up in, in Canada, which was fantastic. So, you know, I'm always there. I'm always touching the industry, but I did have five years where, I had no contact whatsoever because I was doing different things. And I've sort of, you know, it sort of draws me back in again every now and again. And obviously I have the podcast, which started off purely as a legal podcast and has then morphed into um, various different things uh, around the world, really about impacting how do, we, how do we bring humanity back to work and life. And that mm -hmm. brings me to the human consultancy. So the podcast, which is called Human Impact, mm -hmm. has two limbs. One, which is those people who have had a catastrophic traumatic event in life, who have gone on to change the way they see the world and they mm. want to do something for humanity or for the planet. So environmentalists, Nobel Prize winners, Olympians, all sorts of amazing people. Mm. And the other side of it is people who haven't had that sort of cataclysmic event in their life, but who are changing the world for the good. And that includes many law tech entrepreneurs, um, Yes. Um, you know, John Croft from Elevate, that one of the founders there, you're doing amazing work in, in that field of innovation. Yes. Uh, so it broadly encompasses anything. For, you know, I've had a Nobel nominee, um, Professor Brian Keating, who thought they'd found the spark which ignited the Big Bang, all the way through to world record-breaking Olympians, um, environmentalists, and, and many people in between. And it's really things which I'm passionate about. And, and this is where the human consultancy sits in again, which is, everything to do with bringing humanity back to work and work and life. That mm -hmm. also includes, so I sort of wear two hats. Okay. Realistically. Uh, and it's really blending everything that I've done in my life. So I spent 15 years in the world of headhunting. I spent um, 10 years in the world of high tech startups um, and non-techs. And I've owned a fashion e-commerce business. Um, but also having been an observer of human behavior for a very long time. And mm. there's a huge correlation between the bar and, and, uh, you know, career management, which is really about people. It's all about people right. and solving people problems. So the two hats I wear, one is, you know, a business advisor to startups and scale ups within a lot to do with innovation. Mm -hmm. And the other one is how do we, um, you know, how do we manage people's work life nowadays in the context of the world has changed enormously? In fact, I saw a report this morning saying that in Australia, the average salary in the gig economy is less than $7 an hour. 
Wow. Um, and so, we, you know, there's a whole piece around the future of work, obviously around the future of, of law as well. So all of that experience has really blended into the human consultancy, which has two limbs, which is one about advising individuals about how to design the career and life that they want, looking at that holistically. Yes. Uh, and the other is really more business uh, mentoring. But that also includes how you design your life outside of your business, because we can give you all the leadership skills in the world. But if you are not prepared to take on board how to design your work and life outside of um of work then ultimately the wheels do fall off at, at some, some stage point. in your life yeah that makes sense and in my own case you know when the wheels well the wheels didn't fall off but but i discovered i had cancer um mm. by fluke founding what i see and what i witness is people who are exposed to um, environmental stress whether it's coming out of their homes or whether it's coming from their families their friendships their finances or their work is unfortunately illness then manifests um mm. so that's one of the, the sort of core things which i'm passionate about is helping people make sure they don't make those mistakes they actually find out what really does serve them which is why you can have a lawyer sitting in you know ex law firm who mm. is happy as larry will make partnership as the best thing they've ever done in their lives and and really content in fact we talked about this nick abrams who's the global head of technology yes. innovation at northern rose um Norman Rose Fulbright, I should say, is yes. one of the happiest, most purposeful lawyers I've ever come across. He has incredible meaning to everything he's done. He's a startup founder. He's a comedian, but he has a great life. Uh, you know, he, he, he's managed to blend all the things he loves into his work. But you can get someone who sits um, in that firm anywhere in the world who is absolutely miserable, sick, unhappy, depressed, uh, all the rest of it. Yeah. And so, you know, what we have to do is understand why one person is leaving their life of meaning and purpose and, and fully happy and um, not disillusioned with life. I mean, life throws things at you regardless of how content you are. And other people who are in the same environment, but absolutely disenfranchised, disillusioned, no, no meaning for purpose as well. And that's sort of where the human consultancy comes in to mm. help them understand where, what, what, their meaning is to what their work is, whether, you know, what their mission is, not just about passion and purpose. Everyone talks about passion and purpose and they talk about, you know, Simon Sinek talks about why this is more about mission. You know, some people's mission is you know, I need yes. to pay the bills or I want a side gig. So I'm happy sitting in that environment when the person next to me is toxic because my mission is I'm leaving in 18 months and I'm very strategic about that. And I'm sitting here taking my money, learning as much as I can for when I get out, I am getting right, out. Right, right. Someone else might, want to get out but not have the skills and tools to do so right or they might want to get out but you know uh they they may well be getting to the stage where you know mortgages and family are creeping up and you know can i leave and one of the things we discussed could is, uh, mm -hmm. is how many people leave the profession between the age of 28 and 32 particularly women but also men as well because it's that tipping point between what am do I, I do, do next? Or, or am I going to keep doing this for the rest of my life, right? Yeah, am I yeah. going to keep doing this? Or is this the last chance I can reestablish my creativity, inherent creativity, which we all have. And lawyers actually, I think, make wonderfully creative people as well. Yes. Um, and so that, in a, in a long-winded answer, is what I do and brings us back to the conversation, which, of course, you and I are passionately uh, talking about, which yes. is the future of the industry and what's happening with technology and, um, and, and people. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a, that's a really well 
good way around answering that question. I think I think it's clear. <laughs> so, but I well, think if it's, it's not, like, no one's going. They can, they can. You can always sorry. rewind, guys, if it wasn't clear. <laughs> you can rewind, or you can. And this is Kudus's podcast, so I'm not going to promote myself. But if you do want to know more about me, you can find me on the Human Impact Podcast. If, you, if you're interested <laughs> shameless, in we, shameless, we allow shameless plugs. But, we, but we, uh, we allow shameless plugs. So don't there worry is about a lot it. of correlation between what Kudus is doing in his late twenties. Um, and what I'm doing now, and I was 50 yesterday, um, and different, you know, different insights and perspectives on what's happening in the industry. But we both share the same passion for something that even though we're no longer practicing, either of us, yes. it is something which is, for some reason, ingrained into our souls. Don't ask me why, but it is. Well, we won't get into that because, I mean, that's, I think we, 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 it was an oath of oath, pinky promise, right? We're not going to cover that. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, but, no. <laughs> but I think, I, think, I think it's fair to say that we really enjoyed that, uh, that conversation and found the yeah. parallels in, in, in sort of what motivates. And, um, yeah. and so now in, in order to sort of build it back to where perhaps the things that we could explore for our listeners, I'd love to ask you this initial question of how lawyers can build clarity in times of change. So where you've just given a great example of how people journey through life and life things are thrown, thrown at them and then, you know, it leads them to ask questions or they can be active about it or something catastrophic happens. Um, if, we, if we are to sort of put the question forward or put the scenario forward where, well, instead of it being... Uh, you know, little things thrown at someone in life, whether it's catastrophic or small, but, but, you know, those small shifts that are happening that are significant for someone in their life. If the whole thing is moving, and that's really what, what the thesis is for me, mm. right? If the whole thing is, is in going through um, such fundamental change, how do lawyers or how can lawyers build clarity in that time of fundamental change? Um, it's a very interesting question. I mean, uh, I know someone that I'm going to or in the process of introducing you to, John Croft from Elevate, who's one of right. the founders of Elevate and was at Tegrion before that. You know, we talked about this. Mm. And he talks about, uh, you know, how he has found his purpose being a law tech founder, solving problems for his clients. That's his purpose. That's what he believes he is on his planet to do. And he does it, right. um, you know, better than most people have ever done. Right. incredibly successful businesses that's his purpose he he when people really find something that they brings meaning to what they do they don't consider it to be work yeah and and i think that's the thing now let's put a big caveat out there okay there are eight billion of us on this planet there are a million american lawyers in america there are over a million in india there are hundred or thousand in the uk there are hundred or thousand in australia and mm -hmm. this is a legal podcast but the like mine, we know there are people who are not lawyers who listen. Yes. So the point being is that you don't need to know and have direction every second of your day. That statement in itself mm. causes so much anxiety and friction. Is you know, everyone talks about passion and purpose and I must know what I'm doing, I must have meaning to my life, right, and I right. must do this, and right. I must do that. And if you're someone who doesn't have that yet, it will cause a lot of anxiety so <laughs> yeah, when we look for clarity yeah yeah it's a recipe so you know i was 16 uh worked out what a levels to do or if we're in australia you know what um 
HSE to take based on the fact that I knew I was going to be a barrister. So what university I had to go to, what law degree I had to get, and then what in I was going to, you know, I had it all mapped out. Right. Okay. Right. And I can tell you this right now. So I had it all mapped out. My brother, when I was in the middle of the, just beginning my bar exam, mm. developed Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a form of a treatable form of cancer, but he only had a 30% chance of surviving. And he wow. did, and he's healthy and fine today. But I spent seven months of my bar course in his hospital room while he was having chemotherapy and, you know, wow. he's up and down like a yo-yo. Yes. As a result, um, you know, a couple of papers I didn't miss, but I didn't complete them very well. As a result of that, the bar is very old-fashioned. I passed all of the other tests. They said, you have to reset those papers. As a result of that, the amazing set of chambers I was due to enter said, no, never in the history of our chambers has a member had to reset a paper. So you can't come. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, the, the context of this is that there's a career for me which was mapped out forever and was derailed by something which was totally out of my control, but it's something which was more important to me. Sitting with my brother mm. in hospital was more important to me than the bar. Mm. And that's a, an active choice. So when we, when we talk about clarity and then I left because you know it wasn't what I thought it was going to be for a whole number of reasons. And then you have to get clarity. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Yeah. None. Because I had my entire life mapped out for me. Yes. Um, and suddenly at 22, when, of course, you know, mobile phones barely existed. The internet certainly didn't exist. Yes. Yeah. And you had to go and find out what on earth you're going to do. So the only people really in your domain who are going to help that is your, your parents and their friends because that's the way we networked. Right. So for me, it wasn't until I was 30 or 30 when I left England to come to Australia to set up my first company, knowing one person in the country um, running, screaming from England, that I got clarity. And mm. I was 30 years old. Mm. Now, other people like you have clarity younger. We know we have people who are 13 and 14 setting up amazing entrepreneurial businesses and doing right. incredibly well. And they've got real meaning and drive and ambition and purpose. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I've also worked with people who are 80 who yet haven't found that meaning in their life and, and are, are very sick. Right. So I think it's destructive that we put so much pressure on ourselves to find something meaningful to do with our lives. And if we haven't found it, then mm. basically the world is telling us we're hopeless. Mm. I think that's a bad place to be at. So in the space of clarity and disruption, uh, in the space of disruption yeah, that yeah. we're talking about. Building clarity in that time of change, yeah. In that time of change, we have to realize that there are many people out there who really love doing what they're doing in the legal profession, mm -hmm. whatever their association. And those people may no longer have a job. Right. And they have meaning and purpose in their life, which is going to be removed from them because the very job they're doing is not needed anymore. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, you will have people who, you know, the whole world of, um, uh, of project, legal project management um, and alternative legal practice is you're going to have people from other industries who've never considered the law profession, legal professional services at all, who are suddenly going to be working around it. And it's yes. a very nuanced industry. Yes. It is not for the faint-hearted, but you can take a, um, you know, a, a business intelligence analyst out of Boeing and stick them into a law firm. You could take a project manager 
from another large corporate and stick them into a law firm because ultimately what they're doing is applying their knowledge and skills just to a product and yes. a situation. Yes. That also enables, and I love when I hear Alan Overy in London, um, and I'm not sure why I'm having a love-in with A&O, but, but I have worked with them for a long time and, <laughs> yes. and I, I do have a lot of respect for them, um, is that you know, when they announced that they were going to start the, qualifi- the, the training qualifications for non-lawyers, for effectively for apprentices, yes. that's groundbreaking. Yes. I think the, the, the biggest challenge we have and I, and I love hearing stories like that. I love hearing of our law tech businesses and, and, and others who are setting up. But, you know, the conversation is 80% of the media covers AI and the disruption to law. Yeah. And technology and AI and the future of work and contracting is less than 1% of the entire market. It's probably, an even, it's probably not even 10% of 1% of the entire market. Right. So there's a lot of noise and propaganda and heat around an area which is not yet happening. It's happening, we can see it, but it's, it's still small. It's not mainstream. The biggest, it's, not, yeah. it's not mainstream. Yes, you are seeing enormous change in the way that legal services are delivered, in the way that corporates want their legal services to be delivered by their suppliers. And law firms used to be the kings, and now they're the pawns. That's, that's the biggest change, is that they, apart from a few global firms, no longer have the power that they had to wield, which is basically you come to work with us because we're the best and we'll charge you what we want and we'll probably give you the best quality work. Yeah. Um, and to but, be fair, those that are of that size uh, have also been quite smart about or, or have enough runway to be able to, you know, shift uh, iteratively into newer ways of doing things, right? They, they can. They're almost but forced I, to because they can't wipe the whole thing clean and start from scratch. Well, it's very hard to – I mean, if you think of it like this, I think the, the statistic is – Six percent. You have a six percent chance of making a partner for, as a graduate in a in a say international law firm. Yeah, it's sizing okay. up six percent. Yeah. So ninety four percent of you are not going to make it. Now that's a pretty ninety three percent of startups fail. So you're the same rate of lack of getting to that goal as a high tech high growth startup, which is not a great statistic. Right. But the thing is that has played into law firms' hands ad infinitum. Mm-hmm. because they cannot make everyone a partner and they don't want everyone to be a partner. So what you have is you have future leaders and you have everyone else in the trenches. Yeah. Um, and the future leaders are the ones they've identified for partnership um, who may get up or may go somewhere else or may go and do something else. But and realistically, the deal is, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and I say this not with unkindness, but the reality is that's the way it's been. And yes. if you are not one of those people designated for future leadership, you will, up until maybe 10 years ago, you would have been out, maybe 15 years ago. I mean, maybe going back a bit. Because sure. what they've tried to do is, you know, incorporate this space of, uh, of counsel or now consultant where you can be an 8 to 10 year, 12, 14 year qualified lawyer. Right. Seeing they're not as a partner, earning very well. And in fact, those are the people who make most money for the law firms. Because they charge at partner rates, around partner rates, but they're not remunerated as a partner. Right. So they're highly profitable. Yes. Um, but, you know, the thing is, as you go through your motions with the family, do you want to be sitting there working the hours that you're working? 100%. And I also caveat and say, don't think that by going to a small high street law firm, you may not do the same hours as in a oh, global God. behemoth. Yes. Because you can actually be doing more hours. Yes, yes. 
there's a lot more that the, there's not enough money to cover by way of admin or whatever else. There is yeah. So done. you're, you're working even, but you might not be, you, you're working to a different type of stress. You're not working to deadline stress yeah. and you're not walk, working because America's calling you at two o'clock in the morning and Brazil's calling you at, you know, on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon. Yeah. But you're, you're in the office doing admin, you're doing your paperwork, you're catching up with everything. It's a different type of stress. Yes. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, the context today is around do people want, if you talk to graduates, and I was fortunate enough to speak to the president of Cambridge's Law Society a couple of years ago, mm. like a lady called Lucia Adsi, who um, went, I think, off to files or something like that. Mm. You know, we talked about this and said, you know, what are your, Cambridge Uni is the largest law student body, I think, outside of Harvard. Mm. It's enormous. There's an enormous body. And I say, you know, what do you, what do you think? And she's saying, well, you know, we're just the traditional universities are behind the eight ball. Um, you know, we Amen. all worry about. If yeah, I may say and, so myself. Yeah, and they say, <laughs> you know, we we all worry about where our training contracts from we're going to come from. We're not so worried about the, the track of partnership, but the biggest issue for them is the people they really want to the universities who are coming from diverse backgrounds don't even aren't even aware at sixteen they can do a law degree. You know, because right. they just think it's yeah. out. Yeah. If you're an immigrant one or you're profile. a refugee, yeah, it's it's basically exactly it's one profile. And if you don't have that profile, they don't think that's a pathway for them. But it can be an amazing pathway yes. if that's what you want to do. Yes. So I think the dilemma is faced that the law firms face is: do people want to work for them anymore? Well, yes. Is is this aspirational? Mm. Is it aspirational to sit here for ten or twelve years? Yes, I can earn a lot of money, but is it aspirational for me? Or Bearing in mind, there are so many other wonderful opportunities for me now. Do I still want to be in a law firm? But I don't. Want, do I want to be a lawyer? Right. Or do I want to be a lawyer on partnership track? Or can I be a lawyer who is effectively a you know you take the the management you know you could be a managing principal, right? Whereby you're not interested in partnership, but you, you but you love the quality of work. So if you're one of those people who loves the work but mm. is never going to be made partner, mm. you're going to be disenfranchised and disillusioned again mm. because what you love is being taken away from you simply because of your perceived aptitude to be successful for the firm. Right. So there are so many different layers of clarity which are being worked through as the industry and profession sees so much change. I see. So you're working it backwards to say, well, what are you actually looking for is what you're asking or what we should be asking ourselves, right? Yeah. Well, the firms have to ask Mm -hmm. themselves and the firms have have to ask, you know, and and one of the issues that law firm management has as they go through this period of change is, you know, partners are realistically – interested in seeing out their time taking their equity um, yeah. their profit share and off they go yeah. you know if you have listened to conversations behind closed doors a lot of them i've had quite a few <laughs> are not are really not that geared to looking beyond three to four years yes exactly. they're not looking at five to ten years they're not looking at legacy and they're not looking at because they especially think, not trying to look at trying to change anything right they don't want to rock the no. boat before they no. cash out. Uh, uh, but, but before they cash out. Now, that's the way it's always been. That's the way they have learned. But the thing is, it goes back to, is that now aspirational? Well, and also, is that survivable? Because I think, actually, that's where the, the, the line will be drawn in the sand at one point. You know, once we have certain ways, practices, technologies, um, and capabilities become mainstream, 
you can no longer depend on that profit share or that equity stake that you've put in as a partner. Um, well, I think some will. I think that to come out I, the I other think end. realistically is the big ones will, or the, the, I sure. say the big ones, there'll be some big ones which are going to fall over, sure. no doubt about that. But there will be some survive, who survive because they will breed that type of lawyer who, who wants to follow that. And, the, and, and mm. my belief is there should be a, you should draw a line in the sand and say, you know what, after 2030 or 2025, we're no longer going to have a partnership structure. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's, uh, that, that, di- that's it. That deal yeah. is no... The reality is, and I, and I like what you're saying because what it is is a combination of what we just said, which is you either draw a line in the sand for yourselves or it's drawn for you eventually. And, I, and, and you're mm. saying some of them will survive that. I believe you in saying that. I, I also agree. I, I guess I'm looking at the majority. I really feel like um, perhaps not in the top tier, international golden circle sort of situation, but, but um, mid-tiers, national syndicated firm, things like that, they, they mm. you know, besides being um, acquired, there is really little, um, there is a lot of pressure. Let's put it that way. On well, I think the model yeah, not I think working a lot of at that that level. I think you know, but it's driven by so many different things as well. Of course, if you look at um, you know, if you look at insurance and workers' comp in Australia, that whole industry just died because of legislation change. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. Um, PI as well. PI has changed. You could look at how litigation is funded as well, and look at people very aggressively coming into litigation funding. Yes. You know, so in the, the industry changes. By legislation, by culture, by necessity, and in this case, by um, technological revolution. Yeah. But that's also driven by a desire of corporates to work in a different way and to be more financially conscious. Yeah. And Not I'll, saying and, that they're and, conscious, but financially aware, right. shall we say. And, and I think, well, you know, if it wasn't explicitly mentioned, I think it's worth mentioning that um, expectation of the consumer and also expectation of the um, <clears throat> emerging workforce i think that's a huge one because like you said yeah. what what the partner's thinking about if it doesn't translate to the juniors have come in or their juniors could see a better way you may not even have a a um i guess a castle by which to sit <laughs> sit the top no, of but, that makes sense exactly but the thing is we're only talking about big law if you look sure. at people like michelle de stefano and law without walls mm-hmm. um and what's happening in law tech and you know all sorts of access to justice and social justice issues that whole thing is changing as well yes which is, but technology is enabling that correct and so you've got these incredibly smart ex-lawyers and non-lawyers are thinking how do we disrupt how do we bring services to people mm-hmm. and one of the you know fascinating conversations or, or you know things to work out mm. is if i look at the smes that i advise or the startups or the scale-ups most of them are scared of lawyers mm. most of them would say <laughs> you know i don't want to go and get a a shareholders agreement drawn up or i don't want to get a contract from yes i don't want to get my privacy agreement or i don't want to get this commercial supply agreement knocked up or my T's and C's because I know I'm going to get, you know, rorted by the lawyers and I don't understand what they're doing and I, they might not even be any good. I mean, I've seen plenty of really And shoddy... slammed by the bill, of course. The, the... Yeah, and, <laughs> and you don't know whether the quality of the work is any good or not. Yes. And these are people who, you know, my own multi-million dollar businesses, they still don't want to engage with legal services mm. because they are uh, – the only time that the law touches people is – um, realistically, something's uh, gone wrong. You know, well, something's gone wrong. So it's you know divorce. It's well, it's it's um, Lit- immigration, litigation. It's matrimonial litigation. Yeah. 
uh, is, is criminal or it's real estate and there's a bit of convincing or, you know, basically family law. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's generally as a result of something which is painful. Yes. So the exposure to it is, is not great. Mm. And so you have all these people who need, who really need help on the grassroots level of, of you know, in family law and in immigration mm-hmm. who have no access to that yeah. and who are completely disenfranchised. And that's an entirely another, converse, another different conversation. Yeah. So yeah. those people who are thinking, you know, you know, I want to be a lawyer, I am a lawyer, but I'm so disillusioned with what I'm doing. There are so many, and the one thing I've always been crystal clear on, Curtis, is mm. I don't want to, I don't want to paint a negative picture of the industry and the profession and even big law because there are so many amazing opportunities for people there are. within the profession. Yes, which doesn't just mean you have to be a partner at a big law firm. If you really have this passion for justice, which is why I went to the bar, I still, you know, I still want to be a magistrate because I feel that there is. A strong, I have a strong sense of social justice, and I don't necessarily see what I like. Yes, well, I don't necessarily like what I see. Um, if you have that, there are so many different touch points you can have in that profession, yes, yes. which will give you meaning and purpose and a mission in life, which may give you more clarity as to what you want to do. It doesn't mean you have to work 18 hours a day, mm. um, and to drive yourself nuts in the process of doing it. I see, that's a really, really good way to sort of tie that. Uh, tie the knot or tie the bow on that particular question. Um, there's a lot there to unpack. So, you know, without, without going further down that rabbit hole, I think that's a great place to sort of ask you another one. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and we, and, and, and we, we let that one marinate, I think. Um, yeah. So, and I think this is, these are all related. So for me, I guess, you know, and you hinted, you hinted at this being a lifelong journey, something that people are, are in it for a long time because they find, meaning in it but those meanings can change clarity clarity in times of change uh you know based on recognizing as that exist and becoming clear at different levels about what you want about what exists about how it's changing um how often should one sort of reflect practically and update the meaning that they find in their work you know Obviously, we we, good, we, cla- yeah. we 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 did you did touch off the bat that we should not be doing it on a daily or or, or like well, a, every hour of every day. Like, am I doing the right thing? That's not. I, that's I not think good. the the point I would say as kindly as I can is it's a question framed by someone who has spent a long time around lawyers. Mm. In the and I and I the reason I'll say that is it's the same question I would have asked maybe seven or eight years ago before I went this huge cathartic change of understanding about human behavior myself mm. and actually what drives us and what motivates us and what, what brings meaning to our life. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say is in one of the big, uh, one of the areas in which I'm focusing on in my own work mm. is how to, why great leaders feel more and think less. Right. And we've discussed this, which is being intuitive. Yes. And I think when you develop self-awareness as a human being, that that intuition and that reflection happens on a daily basis because it's part of your DNA. Right. So you go to work. And and so one of the things I teach, and it's on an app called Kyo, K-Y-O, which is an amazing mental fitness app. Mm -hmm. And I encourage people who are maybe struggling to go and check it out because there's incredible work there, um, is – 
And you can do this also on Inside Timer. Mm -hmm. um, there's lots of courses there as well, which is a meditation app. And uh, if you want to know more about that, um, Christopher Plowman, their founder and CEO, has also been on my show. Mm -hmm. um, but the point being is if you start tuning in to yourself, yes. and this is not woo-woo, this is not fluffy, this is seriously, you are a human being. I think it's time everyone understood that human beings are animals. We're connected on this planet to something called the universe, however you want to describe that. We are not special. We're just an evolved species. But once right. you understand that you're an evolved species, you have a heart, you have a brain, you have... You have certain faculties uh, above other You have certain species faculties, well. other species, but you have a, a connection to... You understand that if you... if if anyone believes that they're special and frankly, you know, they're superior to everyone else, then frankly, I can't imagine they're probably going to listen to the show much longer. This conversation. <laughs> um, but, but the point being is when you start reflecting, you have that self-awareness mm. to know that, you know, when I get up and go to work in the morning and I'm having a, sh a shitty day, mm. am I having a shitty day because of anything to do at work or something which happened at home or friendship or something else? Because a lot of what we think is going wrong in our lives, it's not, is the underlying root cause is not actually, actually not what thing. we're exactly exactly yeah, no. and that's the point and so when you develop the self-awareness and whether it doesn't matter whether you practice meditation you can do whatever you just breathe go for a walk in yeah. a park hang out with friends yeah. enjoy a bit of solitude yeah. and just be with yourself soundboard with your partner you know, if, you, if that's healthy yeah right if you're near the ocean or the or the or the, the countryside, just get out into seriously just get out into nature it is a great way of relieving stress mm -hmm. and Science proves that. Mm -hmm. But when you have that self-awareness, and mm -hmm. here I bang on again, you have that degree of intuition and reflection to say, and you become more heart-based in some of the way you resolve your problems. Yes. It, it means that you're not going to get to that critical point of no return mm -hmm. or critical point of illness or depression um, or disillusionment because you are already understanding that these patterns that you have in your life are leading you down this path. And when you wake up in the morning, you think, right, I'm not feeling great. Why am I not feeling great? Right. And is that, or when that, I get home from that becomes ultimately the cost the, of failure to, to, to be self-aware, right? You, you allow things no, well, to grow no, within I think that, you. That I, I wouldn't go that far because I think a lot of people were, that would be the wrong message to send. Okay. But I think what, what, what I'm saying is that from my own perspective, and I can only speak from my own personal experience, is that I know that when having been a lawyer and being very analytical and a barrister and running my own businesses, mm. I was driving very hard for a long time. I didn't – I used to stop and reflect on business strategy. Okay. I never stopped to reflect on myself. I mean, I knew when things weren't going right, but I didn't – I didn't stop, reflect, and go, right, now I need to unpack that. Mm. And so I'm not saying that for those who are not self-aware, you're going to end up in a terrible situation. But I'm Because some people manage their lives much better than others. Sure. I'm saying if you're one of those people who understands that you have your patterns and behavior can lead you to destructive habits, self-sabotaging, um, recognizing or understanding that you're in a toxic environment or relationship, mm. something's not going right, and you can see it, but you're not doing anything about it, that's when you need to stop, reflect, pause, and get help. Yeah, yeah. Because it will, if you are in that spiral, negative spiral, and you don't get help, it will end up in a, in a very unpleasant yeah, situation. Yeah, in a worse that place is without, it is, yeah. That, which is one which is uncontrollable. And however people may think that they're wealthy and mm. living the high life, 
when you go home at night and you have to go to the doctor in the morning or you drink too much or you take drugs or you're sleeping with everyone on the planet, that yeah. is telling you that things are not going as well as you think they are. <laughs> or you yes. end up with illness. Yes. And that's so, the point. So the message so, yeah. so that's the sort of the message is yeah. um it doesn't necessitate you are going to be one of those people of because course. you might not you might not you might have that inherent self awareness. I've met mm. people who never need to do a meditation course in their life simply because they're just born with this uh, reflective ability to know, you know what? Yeah. I'm pretty happy. <laughs> and the discipline it's, to do it too, right? Uh, it's either a natural inclination or, or a learned discipline. Yeah. And I think that there's an Absolutely. option And it for can everyone. be learned. That's why yes. you've got these amazing apps out there, Headspace, Calm, Insight, Timer, where even if you don't even understand the word meditation, you can go there and there is so much training there for you to find, to reconnect with that animal part of you, which is called your heart and called your sentient feeling self. Because when you do that, all mm. of these problems and struggles you have become, they're right in front of you right. and they're louder. So when that little tapping is on your shoulder and it doesn't go away and it gets louder and louder and louder, that's the time to go, right, now I need to drop in, tune into that and work out what's going on. It doesn't happen no. overnight. So no, it doesn't. Anyone who's going to promise you with that. overnight cure is 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 fake it takes it took me years it takes most people years of practice and hard work but i tell you what when you get there you will really understand what having a, 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 some meaning or understanding or clarity, reflective well, ability clarity yeah. that's the clarity that you're talking about that's when yeah. you get that clarity some people yeah. never need it because it's already there and they're yeah. they're tuned into that and that's and that, that's amazing but, you know, cool. for most of us in the, in the Western world or the Western influence world, we need a lot of help. Yes. So this is interesting because I think we've sort of answered a lot of the questions that I had um, along the way. Uh, but to tie it up then, it's to, to sort of summarize, then self-awareness is the key in order to battle, to, to build that clarity, to also f continue to find the meaning. It, it's like it's, it's a muscle that needs to be flexed, and the more it's exercised, the more capable you are of recognizing changes uh, within you, without you, you know, inside of you, outside of you, and, and how you wish to react with your environment. Is that absolutely. And, uh, absolutely. And I think, you know, just to, to finish on that note, mm. um, one of the things I would encourage people to do if they're in that slightly reflective space or they know something's not quite right mm. or that, you know, they, they need a change, you know, that you can be very happy and still need to change, mm. is you've got to understand initially, is it the industry you're in? Is it the employer? Is it your role? Is it the function you have? Mm. And more importantly, how much is attributable to you? Yes. Because you might think, well, and be supported by all of your friends to say, oh, my boss is terrible, you know, they abuse me and they shout at me. It may well be true. But you then take another job, same thing happens. Take another job, same thing happens. Right. Why are you not asking the right questions right. of your employer? Why are you not asking the right questions of your friends and network to find out what is happening? Why are you allowing yourself into those negative environments? Well, it's also because a point of asking, not asking yourself Maybe there's something that you're programming your subconsciously leading yourself to. Yeah, patterns. Uh, yeah, They're yeah. just patterns. Yeah. yeah. You just but the the beautiful thing is, mm. as you know, Curtis, every pattern can be changed. Yes. Every pathway can change. You can extinguish old ones and relearn new ones. And so when we talk about clarity, you know, clarity comes from and this is from within, you know. If you're gonna go and work with a large 
organization, whether it's a law firm, a, a, a bank, a financial service company, anyone related, you know, vendor suppliers, it doesn't really matter. Mm. They're not going to change. Mm. They will never, ever change at the pace that you as an individual can change. Mm. So when you're looking for clarity and intention and what do I do and what shall I do about the industry, figure it out for yourself what you want, then go and find the employer that is or the or the division of the employer or the sector of that employer that is aligned to you and what you want to do. Don't expect the world to change for your benefit because it just does not work like that and if the legal profession is something which you no longer enjoy work out what part of it you don't enjoy and and work at which part of you you don't enjoy Mm. because you might turn out and say actually you know what i love the practice of law i just hate the way that i have to work in this environment so i need to go and find a different environment which sustains me and allows me to do what i love Right. And, and, and I think in, in exploring that, then what we're, what we're also sort of answering question is a, another question that I had was, you know, whether we need to wait as lawyers or law firms for catastrophe to make significant change. And the reality is we don't, but it calls no, upon no, no, no. a higher commitment, right? A higher commitment to self-awareness, to tackling things that are, that are nagging, to not push them aside, brush them under the carpet, to be really, really um, active in that and intentional in, in seeking yeah. to resolve uh, challenges that exist or that are, are about to exist, you know, bringing them into conversation. It, and, you know, if, if you're in a leadership position or you, you, leadership, this is exactly is where I was going to go. Ed. So okay. let me, no, let me, you ask the let question, me ask the question because this is the juicy <laughs> one for me. So I think, so, so it's, so it's the question becomes what for me in this circumstance, and now we've covered a, a fair bit of ground, and, I'm sh- and there is more. So I look forward to doing this again soon. But as leaders of law firms, I would love to hear what you think about what they need to particularly explore or manifest within themselves. Because in a position of leadership, it's not just now about what's going on inside of you, although that's key to, to being able to drive the bus per se. But um, you may need to have some ability to, to look beyond yourself and see what's going on. So, so, like what 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 the leaders need to do of these law firms? Well, I think it's it's we, we're really in two camps there, goodness. I think is leaders who care, and also managers who think they're leaders who don't care, mm. and then people who do care about the people who can impact change. You could be, you know, a, a partner, a senior partner. You know, you could be. Uh, in HR or in, in any one of the um, mm-hmm. operational functions of the firm and be passionate mm-hmm. about your your firm mm-hmm. that you might have been in forever or your business that you might have been for, But you recognize that your ability to impact change is zero, bearing in mind that everyone else thinks differently to you and, frankly, they're not interested. Then right. it is incumbent on you to put your hand up and walk out the door and go to an organization which you really can't help because you are not helping your people by constantly having to put your arm around and saying, I'm sorry, it's this way. It's very frustrating. It's not going to change. You are not helping anyone. Right. Well, I guess that's why I'm trying to target it to um, specifically and explicitly because we've explored the concept of leadership in in firms and and recognize that leaders are not necessarily always the seniority of a firm. It's whoever has the ability to take on an idea. I, I would want yeah. to know specifically for those who do call the shots in law firms, because that's where it changes sort of, that's where decisions are institutionalized, essentially. Okay, well, I'd, I'd leave it. Look, I'm not 
a big fan of the word legacy because I think once we're dead, we're dead, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm quite matter of fact about that. Okay. Um, but in terms of creating legacy, but I think what legacy means to me is our ability to make a positive impact after we're gone. Right. Okay. It's not about having a statue named after you and everyone thinking what a wonderful person you are. Right. It's about have what I've done is what I've done in my life still positively impacting people in their lives. That to me is what legacy is. And I, and I do agree with that. Actually, it's very practical and, and very, um, it's, it's aligned and it's aligned to this point. So please. And, and so, so, and so, so my response to that is when you are a senior member of your firm or organization mm-hmm. and you are considering what legacy would I like to leave behind, mm-hmm. it's not to be remembered for bringing in five multi-billion dollar deals, right? right. Um, because that is history as soon as you've done it. Yeah. it you will be remembered positively for altering the course of everyone's lives positively. So if you're in a firm which is going through a huge disruption, is having the bravery to say, we don't have the answers, Mm. everyone. We Mm. don't have the answers. But I can tell you what, we are doing our damnedest to get the experts into the business who really understand what we're experiencing, that we trust, that we're going to have to compromise and that we will create the opportunity for a much better business for you. Even if we can't guarantee you're all going to be in it, what we're going to do is mm. make sure that our business survives and survives with the, right, the type of people who will allow it to survive. Right. Even if that means that leader themselves has to put their hand up and say, I can't do it. I have to leave and bring someone else in right. to do it. Or make, now that or, is, or, or make room for others to do it, really. Or, or, make, or enable others. Yes, because what law 100%. firms have traditionally done is not hired people who will challenge them. They might think they challenge them, but they're not really empowered to challenge. Yes, hundred percent. And all it takes is another partner to say no, and the the, the challenge and it's is done anyway. <laughs> so it takes incredible courage and bravery to accept when you don't have the answers, and to go out to the market and say, "I don't know the answers, mm. but I can tell you what." in three years' time or five years' time, this business will be twice as strong as it is today. Yes. And we will do, we will go where we need to go to. But, you know, there are practical issues involved with that, which is how do you run a business, cash flow, how do you remunerate, you know, how many people walk out the door as a result of that, do you still have a business? So that's why it takes tremendous courage and bravery. But the point is it can be done. Yes. If there are enough like-minded people who are coming up in your business who really want who really believe in what you do mm. and want to be part of what you do and recognize that maybe in 10 years' time there isn't going to be a business or it's going to look radically different. But, you know, you're okay with that um, and you're going to be okay with the change that is coming. You're going to implement that. And you're going to try your damnedest to, to make it work for everyone. Go for it. And, but that is what, that's what legacy to me is about, is not closing your eyes, running to the door, thinking, thank God I made it to 55 or 60. That is not <laughs> legacy. I understand why people do that for their own families because, you know, they're protecting their families. They're trying to just get out the door without – I understand that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being negative about that. But they're not probably the people who are sitting in those roles who can um, – affect change yes and 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 in an environment to tie it to come full circle in an environment where it's not a, necessarily about them affecting change but rather the change is happening regardless of whether the action's been taken yeah then and you know is, there are yeah exactly there, there is a there is and an the, equal argument 
the same argument applies. It, it will be about your families because if you can't, if, if, if the ship's going to go down in the next three years and you're at the helm, then it goes down, you know, and it, because of the lack of adjustment well, or, or being unable to, and, to make those changes. And then what happens is you look at the financial liability you have as a partner in your firm. Right. Um, if, if you're talking, and, and you, you see instances like Madison's, for example, and others where, you know, there's, a, there's, there's I don't know what's happening in Madison's in the UK, but, uh, but it, you know, they were all going to be taking a significant hit. Right. Um, so, you know, there are repercussions. And, and I think partners are more aware now that it's not just a gig where your bank balance is swelling for life. When things go wrong, you're going to have to start paying it back. That's it. And uh, that's, you know, so... But if you are one of those leaders and you feel that, you know what, my management structure here is never going to enable me to have those conversations, then take the courage, stand up, walk out the door, mm. go in somewhere where you actually, if you want to make a difference and you want to be part of something and you really want to give back to the profession which has served you all of your life, then be brave about yeah. that. And the opportunities are only growing. With time, uh, enormously, enormously. Yeah. Ed, um, thank you so much. My pleasure. That was. I hope, I hope you got what you wanted. Wow. No, <laughs> I think uh, I think it's a start of a maybe a series. I don't know. We'll have to figure it out. But I I certainly appreciate the time you spent, and I really enjoy, um, if I can say for our for our listeners that that you know having the diversity, the the familiarity with the industry, but the diversity and experience. I think some of the anecdotes, some of the statistics, some of the things you've thrown in there really help cut across and, and, and make the impact and, and make things clear for people when they're listening. So I really thank you for that. Well, thank you, because as you know, you know, you and I are very passionate about our industry, but uh, you can only ha you can you can uh, lead a horse to water, but you can't make, make it drink. And I think this is part of us help helping to show the importance of drinking. <laughs> so, yes, thanks. exactly. Thanks, Ed, so much. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thank you for joining us. If this episode resonates with you, we'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your colleagues and friends. Follow and leave your feedback on Twitter and like us on Facebook. You can connect with Tessa and myself on LinkedIn, Twitter, and you can also visit our websites, futurelab.legal and legalcreatives.com.